Parashat Akev is the parasha of ambivalence. The themes of ambivalence run through it, creating ambivalences over such binaries as privilege and hardship, promise and reality, blessing and overextension. It has the elaborate promise, since God made everything, even the sky, and certainly the entire earth, God may bestow any land God wishes to the Israelites and does so all the way to Babylonia. So the promise here is of such bounty of the land that the gift of the land is far more extensive than we thought. Even the rabbis are disturbed by this. And there is a rabbinic debate over whether that land can or even should be pursued outside of the territories allotted to the tribes, with the rabbis introducing a distinction between a commanded campaign to extend borders and individually instigated national campaigns. Some say the extension is kosher, and many of them say those personal campaigns are not kosher, including some of the campaigns of King David. Ambivalence, the entire land is yours, is it really? Within the just two verses away from each other, we are commanded to eat and be satisfied in the new land. And just those two verses later, our being satisfied will lead to indolence and going astray. You will have everything you hope for, and you should. That's the whole point of this, and it's going to ruin you. Is it good or not? Or will it not ruin you? It's not clear. It will automatically ruin you. Maybe it won't. And, of course, this verse is the basis of Birkat Amazon, a biblically commanded uh, prayer or blessing. And so the rabbis argue, what does it mean to be satisfied? Because you have to be satisfied in order to do the blessing. So what does it mean to be satisfied? So for some, they say it should be enough to be satisfied by a small, like, egg-sized amount. And for other ones, they're saying, no, God's saying you have to be satisfied. Satisfied is you've eaten, so you couldn't possibly eat anymore. And then they argue about what would satisfaction mean to a poor person versus a privileged person? And they go back to the mana, which is mentioned here in Akeb as well. The mana itself is an ambivalence. Some of the rabbis think the mana is God nursing us, like in this nursling metaphor we have in Deuteronomy today, that the mana is like God, like we don't even have to like farm or do anything to get the mana. It's like this direct relationship with a gift directly from the mother God. It's, it's nursing. And then some say, no, the whole point of the mana is that you learn that you thought you needed food to eat or bread to eat, needed sustenance, real food. No, you can live on like just the littlest bit. And uh, so it's not supposed to be like this great closeness to God. It's supposed to be a, a form of training and deprivation. In a beautiful uh, statement that he derives from the Talmud, the commentator of Kuni says, and after all, we know there's a big difference in mentality between someone who is full but there is more in their travel bag. And someone who knows there's always more in their travel bag. In other words, if someone has nothing more in their bag, but they may be full and not hungry, how can that compare to someone who may still be hungry, but they know they have endless amounts that they've been privileged with in their storehouses and in their travel bag? 
So what it would mean to be satisfied for a poor person, a rich person can't understand because they know eh, I still got more. The poor person may be like, I'm not hungry at the moment, but am I satisfied when I don't know when my next meal is coming from? And that ambivalence runs through the Parsha as well, very clearly with, with such statements as um, the whole idea that you need to be circumcised of heart. That the problem is like, God wants us to go into the promised land and have everything we want. We got those great pomegranates and the great grapes, and we're not going to want for anything. And we're, it's going to be just amazing. And at the same time, the Parsha says it can't just be amazing because there's a problem here, which is you have to remember hardship or else you'll close your heart to the widow and the poor and the downtrodden and all those Deuteronomic principles that uh, we cherish. So then it's like the whole point is that this new generation goes in the land that didn't know hardship, but the only thing they really need to know is hardship. And so it's ambivalent over what do we want our lives to be like? Do we want them to be beautiful and full of blessing? Or is that actually a problem? So what is the goal and the problem are intertwined. And it's not, I kept wanting to use the word irony when I was preparing this, but it's not irony. It's really ambivalence. And it's not easy to reconcile. Maybe we're not supposed to fully reconcile the, the, the ambivalence that the Torah is expressing, that God is expressing. Akev stresses that life in the land will, one, will be one largely free of hardship. But hardship is crucial. And it is crucial to somehow pass on the experience of hardship to the children, as the parasha says. We have the ambivalence of closeness and distance. Parsha says that we'll be closer than ever to God in the land because we get to keep all those ecologically based mitzvot that we didn't get to keep before, and that'll connect us to God. And we'll have this experience of closeness with God. Except weren't we closer to God in the wilderness when the Shekhinah dwelled directly among us? And, and again, like back to the mana, when it's better when we were being nourished by God. So what does it mean that we will be closer to God there and yet in a way distant? And of course, it's hard to be lost on us when we have the Haftarah, the ambivalence of homeland and exile. If you have no exile and you only have home, you will take it for granted and you won't even know what home means. But then do we really wish for exile? We don't wish for exile. Don't say, well, then we should have some exile. A little bit of exile would be good for you. It's not good for you. We don't want exile. And so the very idea of homeland that Akev is calling us to is providing an ambivalence. So I have two examples I know are going to be wholly inadequate for trying to relate this ambivalence perhaps to our own lives. And the first one is that of people dropping their kids off for college, right? And the roads closed off and the parents delivering their children to independence. And it's interesting the ambivalence I've heard from people, right? You probably, I mean, I haven't done it myself yet, so that's why I'm really not fit to speak about it. But what I hear from people who've gone through it is some of them are saying, I cried so hard. It was like the hardest thing since childbirth. And then some are like, well, especially those for whom it's not the first year are like, you know, I wish they could get someone else to do it because I'm really busy and we were stuck in traffic and I'm a little bit beyond the age where I want to unload all that stuff in the heat. And then I run right into the worst traffic on the way. Ambivalence. Ambivalence about the, the, the distance and separation. And I wonder a little bit about the very experience of what it means to deliver a young person to independence at college. 
On the one hand, it looks like independence, right? Your parents aren't there and you're doing all these things on your own. Of course, I remember when my mother called me on the phone when I was at college and I was explaining to her that college is a lot more than going to class. And I'm getting more out of these other activities I'm engaging with in instead of going to class. And then she reminded me that she's paying for it. And I, I was it just straight out of Hosea, where Hosea says, you know, you think the wine and the grain and the oil and everything, it's, it's either coming from your own efforts or coming from fertility gods. It's all coming from the real God. It's kind of like forgetting for the fact that parents are paying for college. And you're like, it's really me. And it's so independent, right? Because like, you know, mom's not making you food or dad's not making you food and all those kinds of things. But then I'm like, wait a second. You're off, if you're in a dorm, you're in a dorm and somehow magically the universe is assembled for you. The thousand people probably most likely to be a friend of yours, right? Similar interests, similar age, similar life you've gone through. Wow, that's really hardship. And someone just provided you with like a thousand possible best friends. And then someone's making your meals and you have a safe place to sleep, but you have this illusion that you're independent. And it reminds me of this ambivalence of what our life will be like in the promised land. Are we really independent? Are we not? And the ambivalence over the fact that it's still all coming at you. You're all getting it from God. But it's really happening. And we think of Chizkuni. You have to remember there are two different experiences going on here. The experience of one who always has more in their bag that's coming out and their opinion about it. And the one for whom there's nothing in their bag for the next meal unless they earn it. And so you think of those who attend university, attend college, and they're having a very different experience than everyone else. It's, it's both heartbreaking, but also incredibly inspiring. You know, I, I remember the first time when I was an adjunct um, and I, student missing I asked a student, why are you taking, you're not Jewish, why are you taking this course on Judaism and Christianity and so on? And they said, it's the only one that fits between my shifts at Jiffy Loop. And if I don't have my shift, and if I get sick and I don't attend my shift, then I can't pay my rent. So we have two different experiences. One of which is like, it's like us in the promised land. Oh, it's all through our efforts and everything's provided. The grapes and pomegranates are so great. And the, the, the land it's yielding, it's produce. And uh, we forget when we're kind of privileged that someone's providing this. This is coming from somewhere. And yet there are others who are having the experience, which is I don't feel satisfied. I don't feel it's coming from somewhere because unless I work for it, and maybe I'm not able to do that, or I take out loans for it. I literally don't have that safe environment of the dorm room, of the cafeteria, of a thousand friends just waiting to talk to me about what music I listen to. So I think of the ambiguities, the ambivalences, of, and whether it's independence, whether it's not independence, whether we want our children to have hardship so they have compassion and they have real life experience, they build resilience, or whether don't I want for them to have safety, refuge, security? Because it is hard sometimes to experience blessing when there's nothing in the bag. And I have one other example. It's our relationship to God. The parsha and the ambivalence in the parsha reminds me of so often when I take those who are converting to Judaism to the mikvah. And we ask them, what is your favorite thing that drew you to Judaism? Many of them say, it gives you a direct relationship to God. I'm not going through another, I'm not going through an altar site, I'm not going through an intermediary. And I have a direct relationship to God. And that is the gift of being in the promised land. When you go into the promised land, there won't be a Moshe, there won't be a mana, 
there will be, it will be beautiful. And you will be directly in relationship to God through working the land and keeping meats full and doing it with all your heart. And yet I'm ambivalent about that for us all because how many of us have this access to you are always in direct relationship with God. And yet people say, yeah, I don't believe in God. I don't feel God. With the gift of having no intermediary, for the gift of, in a sense, all of us being given that blessing of it's all God. You're always in relationship with God. That's the gift I'm giving you in the promised land. And yet so many people then feel it, but then I don't feel it. I haven't done a kid's version of the sermon in a long time, and I feel bad about it, and my kids have reminded me, and so I'm going to do my best to do the kid's version right now. It's not going to be very good. So I don't have to put all this. So I'm going to say to the kids who are watching, Judaism has a very hard teaching, which is you can feel God everywhere and at all times. You can feel God playing, I don't know, exploding kittens. For those who know, may a blessing be upon you. <laughs> playing exploding kittens with um, your family, just sitting and laughing at something you're streaming. And there's just a presence of God flowing through you, just playing ball outside, just planting a plant, just gardening. We are so lucky that like at every moment, it's all God all the time. But we also know that that gift comes with a string attached, which is sometimes it makes it all the harder to feel God directly in our lives. That's the Jewish gift and the Jewish challenge. Shabbat Shalom.